What is up, Mets fans? We are back here for episode number 17 of the Mets Up podcast. I'm your co-host, Draft Neck Mark. Mark Luino alongside James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets as we do every single series. And it's only getting more interesting as the season's gone on. We've said this before, but the season has felt like three or four seasons within itself already. And it continues this weekend when we played the Miami Marlins with essentially the AAA Mets, the Syracuse Mets out there. Started off great. And as the games went on, more and more, we realized that this team is going to be in a lot of trouble with the current roster that we have out there. Shockingly, a AAA team struggles to play even against some of the worst Major League Baseball teams. It's almost like, you know, AAA is for worse players. But we're going to talk about everything, all the games in depth, as we always do. Miami Marlins, New York Mets, not a great series. James, how are you feeling? I mean, we've briefly talked. It's tough to be excited after this one. No, I don't feel very good at all. It's the replace Mets. A yes. phrase that you coined a few weeks ago that everyone else in the media has taken since. These are the replaced Mets, and we were a little bit, I don't even know the word. We were very optimistic going into the series, especially with the Colorado series upcoming that we'll get to later, that the Mets, even with this, um, I don't know, reduced roster, lack of talent, if you will, would be able to knock off a couple games from some of the worst teams in baseball. And now I'm starting to doubt that premise. Yeah, it's really, really tough when you're throwing out a lineup of guys that literally just don't hit or even get on base. We have a lot of guys who've got a nice little glove right now. But when you're not scoring any runs, it's really tough to win games. And it's a perfect segue into the one game that we did win, which was game one, which we won by the skin of our teeth. We had yeah. no business winning that game whatsoever. What a miracle that game was. This That game and kind of the entire series itself felt like Little League baseball. It was bad. It was just not good baseball, at least from the Mets' perspective. And even from the Marlins' perspective, they didn't even really play well. Well, they don't often play good baseball, so I don't really hold them accountable. But just from the jump of that game, John VR drew a four-pitch walk off of, I don't even, John Curtis was the Marlins opener on Friday night. And the fifth pitch of the game, he stole second base. That's a little league move. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like the fast kid gets on. And he's supposed to steal. That's it. That's his job. It's a general understanding that we probably won't have very many base runners. So the few that we have, we need to capitalize on. And the Mets for one inning on Friday night actually did do that. Just happened to be the first inning. That's why I was like very optimistic actually at like 7.15, 7.25 maybe on Friday night. I was like, oh, we can't put this together. We're a ragtag bunch of crazy, crazy motherfuckers. Like, let's get it together here. VR walked, stole the base. Lindor hit a nice rope lefty, which I know you were a fan of. Loved it because he's been struggling lefty all season long. I've been talking about it. And as the series went on, you saw the lefty swing again, kind of regress a little bit. But it was good to at least see an extra base hit left-handed because it feels like there's not many. It might have even been like his second or third this year lefty, which is shocking. We got that run in. And then the next batter, I think it was Dom, put the fly ball into the outfield. Lindor tagged up. That ball went off of his leg, or maybe that was even Nito. I don't really remember. It's been a long time ago at this point. Mets got two cheap runs to start that game on Friday night, and that was amazing. And I kind of, I don't know. This was talked about a lot in the broadcast this weekend, that when a pitcher is aware that his team can't score, you're going to be squeezing the ball kind of tightly. You're going to be aware. Like, you just know you have to be perfect to win a game. And Stroman kind of looked like that at the beginning of this game. Yeah, at the start, he was very shaky. I think I even put out a tweet, and me and you were talking about it through text, that if we can get five or six out of Stroman today, based on how his stuff was looking, that was going to be huge because he just wasn't sharp the first few innings. A lot of runners on, a lot of pitches, just a little off the plate. He wasn't getting calls, maybe even squeezed a little bit. But Stroman to start, I feel like the first three innings was a little little murky, a little foggy. He just he wasn't there necessarily, but he did turn around the second half of that game. And that kind of leads us to the, I guess, like biggest 
controversy in game one, which had to be when they pulled Stroman because he was at that point dealing. Yeah, he was dealing. I kind of want to get a little deep into Stroman as I do most episodes here. He had a very stark mid-game adjustment. Something that we've seen the Mets come into games with game plans this year, have like different repertoires for different opponents in different situations. That seems to be Hefner's biggest thing that he does with these guys is really, really stringent, particular game plans, which I like. And it seems to be working extremely well for basically every pitcher on the staff. But Stroman made a mid-game adjustment, something that he hasn't done in this manner all season. He threw for the game 25 sinkers and 25 splitters and 22 sliders. So it looks like he had a nice like rhythm, like three three pitch mix, something that he's done a lot this year, mixed a lot of different pitches at the top of his repertoire. He only threw five of those 25 sinkers in the fourth, fifth, and sixth innings. That is when he settled into a groove. That is when he was throwing his best ball. He threw 20 sinkers in the first three innings. That's when the Marlins were consistently on base. That's when they were hitting him. That seemed like a very concerted effort by Marcus Stroman to change something up in the middle of that game. I don't know what the splitters numbers were in the first three innings either, but he was like sprinkling them in there and they were definitely the best pitches. I think you even texted me, you're like, that splitter's looking good. He needs to throw yeah. it more. Like you got to live and die with that tonight. And it seemed like as the game went on, he started to realize like, okay, abandon the sinker, like you said, splitter more. And he really did make the adjustment which then led to the whole decision of whether or not it was right to pull Stroman at the time that they did. He came out for, what, the 6th, 7th? 7th. He pitched. He got through the 4th, 5th, and 6th like extremely easily. He had f- five consecutive strikeouts stretch between the 4th and the 5th. And he actually, I do have this stat. He threw nine splitters in the first three innings and 16 over the final three plus he pitched. Okay, wow. That's a very big difference. Something clearly happened there. And it was sharp. He, the splitter looked good. It was a weapon against right-handed hitters because it would kind of cut into them. It was the most he ever thrown the splitter in a start this year. And you just could seem like he was continuing to get stronger and stronger and stronger as the game went on. The pitch had seven whiffs on 15 swings. That's an elite number, 47%. And it just felt like, to me, that... The Mets took him out at a time when he was providing the one thing this team needed. Like, the Mets have a massive hole in this rotation right now, as well as their lineup. The hole in the lineup, I think, is greater. We'll talk about that later. But the Mets are going to need innings with no off days for the foreseeable future. It was almost was the best he had looked all season. This is something, like some real minutia, I texted you when this happened. They sent him out for the seventh, and he walked the leadoff guy, and, and we were arguing about it. And I was like, no, it was a tough walk. That was a tough walk. Like, a couple pitches were fouled off. He had everything working. Like, he just kind of lost a battle. If he had came out and walked the guy in a couple high fastballs, a couple splitters in the dirt that didn't execute, sure, I would say take him out. He doesn't have it. But it looked like he still had it. Personally, I would have kept Marcus Stroman in there. So my whole reasoning for taking Stroman out is I think that, like, technically it was the right baseball move. I think if you're, like, really breaking it down, I think Luis Rojas on paper made the right decision. Statistically, whatever the numbers are, I think he went with that. And I was okay with it because... Stroman did struggle early in the game, and I feel like as much as we we needed the innings badly, we had a chance to really lock up a game there. We had, what, a 3-1 lead, I think, going into it, and we did go to Miguel Castro. It's not like we went to Jacob Barnes or Gesellman or one of these other guys. We went to one of our lockdown dudes, and Castro really only made one bad pitch, and it was to Garrett Cooper who gave up that home run. So in my eyes, I said, whether Stroman or Castro gave up a home run there, if anything went bad, it was people were going to blame Rojas. And I feel like that was a tough a tough call. I know Ron was super upset about it. Yeah. I feel like the bigger issue that inning was more the pitch calling, where he blew, I think, two fastballs by Garrett Cooper. Wasn't mm-hmm. even close. He yeah. threw a slider. He took a good cut on it, I think, fouled it off. And Ron was like, don't throw him that slider again. you got to go fastball here against Cooper. He's not hitting it. 
Cooper went yard on the next slider because it hung, which we saw Cooper also do, I think, in game two against Drew Smith. Yep. You got to throw fastballs at this guy, it seems like, as well. He's just, he's sitting the slow stuff, and he's going to crush it when it hangs. But that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I see both sides of the story. I think right now Luis Rojas has more on his plate than we've really seen a manager in Major League Baseball handle in a long time. 17, 16 guys on the IL. That is half of a major, more than half of a Major League roster. And some of those guys are not even major league players that are hurt. And then add on to the fact that Peraza got hurt in this game. Mm-hmm. He hasn't played the last two days, really. Mm-hmm. Another guy who's just not playing. It seems like nothing can go right for these Mets right now, even though everything is going right to even keep them close in these games. Like, it's such a weird, is paradox even the right word? Like, Yeah, it's a kind of a paradox, like a juxtaposition of luck, where the yes. Mets have really bad, like, long-term luck, but everything in-game seems to be generally lucky. And I do agree with you that... That decision by Rojas wasn't bad. It's just not what I would have done. Like, we are talking about this much more amicably than the people on Twitter who thought that Luis Rojas should be, like, his head should be on stake for taking out Marcus Stroman. But Castro and May also have been hot and cold for the last weekish. They haven't been the same guys they were in April. But both sides of this argument have merit. I think that's the point that most Met fans need to understand. What Rojas did wasn't, like, deplorable. This wasn't Kevin Cash in the World yes. Series. I was just about to bring that everybody's up. comparing it to. It's crazy. Not it's not close. that. Not this even isn't close. that. And even that, I will say, go on my diatribe right here, that wasn't even the necessarily worst decision I've ever seen. Like, that. that's process. Whatever. Happens. But he got beat on a slider. Like, Eric Cooper's a clunky guy. He crushes breaking balls. Like, it happens. Yeah. He's not even a bad hitter. Like, that shit happens. And it's just, thank God, that the rest of this bullpen was able to pick up Castro and May, who struggled again the inning after. Yeah, May struggled, but he was gutsy. He was ballsy. That one call where he didn't get it, and he was Uh pissed, and he Uh was just dropping F-bombs nonstop. They took him out of the next batter, which you hate to see, especially when it was really, really tight and really Uh close. But then he he dialed it up for, uh, was it Brian Anderson? Did he strike out? Who did he strike out? I don't even remember. But he dialed it up for that strikeout to end the inning or whatever it was. And then he got into the dugout and he was still hot. He was still screaming. He gave us a like, let's fucking go, which I love to see the emotion, especially because that felt like that was like, all right, we got we got to wake the, we got to wake up a little bit. Definitely. And then he was even in the dugout talking to Hefner and Nito, like in yeah. the eighth about like, where the fuck did those miss? Like he was so stuck on that one pitch, ended up not burning us really. But yeah, no. he's he's a little off. Yeah, it didn't burn, especially because we got a call back in game two. It helped us a lot at the time. But you never wanted to say shit about the umpire, but Tim Timmons was awful on Friday Horrendous. night. Horrifically bad. One of the worst rated umpires this year and the MLB Twitter umpire raider, which is a great account. I was about to look it up. Do we have a score? If not, keep talking and I'll find his umpire score. As we're going through this, before we get into the chaos and the fever dream that was the extra innings on Friday night, I do want to touch on Nido because you brought him up. He had a fucking crazy game on Friday night where... He laced a ribby double at some point. I think it was in the sixth or the sixth inning. He's the only guy hitting, driving anybody in. Yep. He had a couple deep flies. He had a deep ground ball. The Garrett Cooper made a very nice diving stop into the line. And later in the game, like seventh, eighth inning, when the Mets were trying to get something together, he was doing great at the plate as he's been doing. But also, he seemed to take the game into his own with runners on the base paths, which I haven't seen a Mets catcher do ever. Like since, like, Paul LaDuca? <laughs> I don't even know. LaDuca didn't even have an arm like that. It's Paul LaDuca, the, the rabid gambler. Yeah. But T- Tomas Nido threw two runners out trying to steal, and he was making snap throws to every single base for the entire game. He made that crazy throw late in the game where VR wasn't even covering. Yeah, no, and thank like, God Tomas. he wasn't, because if he would have, he would, the ball would have gone to the outfield, the mess would have lost. But yeah. I've never seen a catcher in a game make a snap throw to first, second, and third, ever. 
No. Ever. I've never seen that. And that that's one of a sign of Nito being confident. He's coming into his own, which we talked about. That's a good thing. That's also a sign that certain guys in his team may be trying to do too much, which I think we saw a little bit from May also as he put himself into trouble and got himself out of it, which is like my favorite reliever pastime. Yes. It's just something to monitor that these guys don't try to get outside of themselves to will this team to victories. So Tim Timmons had a 94% overall accuracy score, which is actually average. But inside the strike zone, he missed 87, or he was only accurate 87% of the time. He was great at calling balls. He was not particularly great at calling strikes, which is bad. That's bad. You have to call strikes. But, you know, I mean, he, the runs were in favor of Miami, technically by like half a run, whatever you want to take. The most egregious call was eighth inning, May to Duvall, two outs, 3-2 mm-hmm. count. He didn't cost us the game, but he just wasn't very no. good. Yeah, and you don't want to talk shit about the umpires. That's not, that's, that's loser mentality. You got to play the game. Whatever, it happened. Not a big deal. No. And then you talked about Nito being great, taking control, guys trying to do a little bit too much. We even saw it. Well, I guess we'll just go to the extras now because this is kind of, we talked about it too. The Mets are at the point now when a game's close, we have to go to extras. We need it. Yes. Because if we're losing, we got to play for extras because we got a guy running scoring position. Yep. And even then we still might not score him. Yep. I think it's 83% of the time you start an inning with a guy in first and third. You're going to score a run. The Mets did it every inning in the extras and only scored in one of them. It is almost statistically impossible. Be as bad as they were that night. Still got the win. Dude, truthfully, how long would this game have gone if not for the extra inning rule? Oh, we would have been still plot watching today. Possibly. Like literally, th- the 39th inning would have happened this afternoon. Yeah, that extra inning rule was a blessing in disguise for us that night because, oh boy, it was... I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, like... Because we couldn't capitalize. Yeah, hard-pressed to find runs. Uh, Luckily, we had the bench mob, the replace Mets step up. Jake Hager gets his first hit ever in Major League Baseball. The Mets then DFA him the next day. Thanks for playing. Joan Eshwee Fargus comes up with a big hit. Khalil Lee comes up with a big hit. Um, who else? Wilfredo Tovar, I think, had like that little chopper or whatever. The Hager-Tovar hits were innings where we did not score. Oh, was that? No, I thought Hager was the inning we did score. No, no. 10th, 11th, we did not score until the 12th. Okay. The 12th inning was the one where it was Janeshwi and Khalil Lee got the big hits. Yes, okay, so Hager and Tovar. But you're forgetting, I believe it was the 10th, or maybe the 11th, because the whole thing was a fever dream, like I said before. But Jonathan VR getting picked off at their base. Oh my god, I forgot about that. That was terrible. Yes, that is Jonathan VR. Like, we've had the good Jonathan VR most of this year. The aggressive base running, the heads-up plays. Like, that's what Jonathan VR does. But that's all because he pretends that he's wearing an invisible cloak when he's on the base pass. <laughs> he thinks that nobody can see him. He <laughs> was taking a lead off their base, like 25 feet at with no least. no outs, with no outs. He, I've never seen someone get picked off by Submariner before. Well, I think like there's definitely like a chance that Adam Simber like 100% balked based on the way that he actually does just go back in his thing and throw. But also there is zero, zero excuse for ever being picked off third base. Ever. That can never happen. And he was dead to rights. Especially, the Mets played this entire game because they were so scared about having base runners, so tight on the base pass. Especially, I think Nito got thrown out early in the game on on the Joneshwi double, a single. I don't know. Nito got thrown out at the plate in the fifth inning or something. So every single guy who got to third was stopped there. And then for some reason, Jonathan VR with nobody out was dancing down the line like he yeah. was intending to steal home. And then even the Joneshwi play, like the miracle... Uh, Adam Duvall missed dive. Why the fuck did they send him home on that? DeSarcina was waving him. He didn't once think that he wasn't sending him home. I'm like... Wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. He's a horrible third base coach. I'm just going to say it. He's He's really bad. He has no feel whatsoever for guys running the base pass. How many times have the Mets been thrown at the plate? More than any other team I've ever seen. A shocking amount. And then we also hold players more than I feel like anyone I've ever seen. It's crazy. 
But we we won that game. I know. Despite everything, we won that game. And our boy, uh, you know, Joe Neshwi, fucking love him. He's Electric Factory. Electric Factory. I threw up a tweet from the Mets up Instagram this morning. But going into today, 5 for 17 this week, three extra base hits. I don't think he got any hits today. Maybe he got that one. He got one. One late in the game, yeah. But three extra base hits, three RBIs, guys playing an elite defensive center field. Like, he is at least fun. The rest of the place Mets don't really have the flair. He's exciting. I think Joe Neshwe has at least bought himself some more time on the Major League roster where, like, Al Morris, I don't know how long he's going to be out for in Pilar, but I think Joe Neshwe is the guy who stays. They they have to DFA Cameron Mabin whenever we get somebody back. The fact that that guy had been hitting three is insane. The only time he's reached base, I think, as a Met is when he struck out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the only time he reached base. I just don't, I can't fathom why he hits third. Like no. that, how does that make any sense? Why would he hit third? Anyone else can hit third. Why isn't Nito hitting third? Today McCann hit third. Anybody else can hit third. It doesn't, why is he the one hitting third? Joe Neshwi, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But while, let's, before we get too off topic here, just stick on game one for a second. Huge ups to Drew Smith and Edwin Diaz. Those guys just nutted up in extra innings, kept runs off the board. It is so hard to keep runs off the board in this extra innings when you're not a AAA team like the Mets. The Marlins have a Major League Baseball team. They have a competent lineup, mostly. Every guy in the team is is, is a baseball player. I don't know if that's true (laughs) about the Mets. But those two guys just flexed on him. Amazing. Dude, Drew Smith is legit, even though the next night he gave a big home run. But he's a legit pitcher. He's very good. And Edwin Diaz just continues to be the man that we thought we were trading for. He's lights out. Dude, it's all about his, like, vigor and the energy. He just needs vibes. He needs trumpets. And luckily, the Pachanga Band or whatever it's called out there, thank you for playing the trumpets. I'm telling you right now, the inclusion of that band in Marlins Park is going to change the trajectory of that franchise. It's electric. What what an idea that was for them. As, like, the tension mounts and those guys just... Like, that's fun. That's good stuff. And you know what it reminds me of a lot of? World Baseball Classic. They love playing the trumpets and hitting the drums and everything. I didn't even want to admonish that point. Yeah, it gives it that vibe. And that was like one of the most fun games ever in World Baseball Classic history as well in Marlins Park, where Nelson Cruz hit the big home run. Not important. Anyway, game two. Game two, because I think we're done with game one. It was a good win. Good, scrappy win. Didn't deserve it, but we got it. We're not going to deserve anything in the near future, so we got to get things we don't deserve. Yes, and we, we got one. The Mets usually lose those games. We won that one. Yeah. Game two, I'm laughing at your note. It just says <laughs> this is just all a sick joke. <laughs> That's funny because, I mean, it started off so weird. Joey Lucchese pitched great. Dude, this, this whole this whole med season is like it's like a dramatic arts production. Like it's shocking what we have to go through right now. You never thought going into yesterday's game, yesterday being Saturday, because recording this on Sunday, that Joey Lucchese versus Pablo Lopez was going to be easy. That's an uphill battle any day of the week. I was honestly hoping the Mets kind of scheduled Stroman to face Lopez just so the Mets could be on even footing in every single game besides for my ace, Cody Poti, dominating Jordan Yamamoto <laughs> earlier today. But we'll get to that. But like... The Mets just don't have any hitters. Like, how could you expect anything from a lineup that has Cameron Mabin hitting third and Wilfredo, Alfredo Tovar hitting sixth? <laughs> What's going to happen? What could possibly happen? Yeah, Wilfredo Tovar, there's a reason he's a 31-year-old rookie or whatever he is that the Mets had in their farm system like 10 years ago and we're not interested in. He has like six or seven years between major league appearances, which is great. Happy for the guy. Yeah, great for him. But, oh, my God, the Mets didn't have any spot in this lineup where they had three consecutive major league players. No, we gave away innings. We literally gave away two-thirds of the game of going, we're not going to score. What are we going to do the rest? 
Also, I don't know if you know this, Wayne Randazzo, he took over, obviously, for Gary. We knew that. You noticed that. But he kept yeah. calling Wilfredo Tavar Will, and I hated it because there's just – he's he's got to be like Willie or Wilfredo. There's no way he's just flat Will Tovar. No, like, it's not Will. He's not Will. Especially Will with one L. That doesn't play. No, doesn't play at all. Wayne Randazzo did a fine job. He, was he did a fine job. I, I did love listening to the radio this weekend with Howie and Eddie Coleman. Ed Coleman's great. Ed Coleman's hysterical. Those two are lifers. They've been friends for a very long time. And those two get in the booth and they just talk about the good old days, which yeah. I wouldn't love all the time. But like a taste of that once in a while is a blast. In a series where the AAA lineup's out there, that's okay. It gets the Marlins. And just to transition us to the next point, they were up in arms about Lucchese being taken out of this game. They were talking about Joey Lucchese into the seventh inning. And he was taken out after the fourth. Ron was hot about it too. Ron couldn't believe it. And I get it. Like, I think the old school guys in them are like, he's pitching well, you got to let him go. And maybe you do. But also we've seen enough of Joey Lucchese to go that this is, this is a, what's the a fake veil? What's that called? The veil thing. A veil, facade. A facade. Yeah. It's a facade. Whatever happened will never happen again. We're confident in it. I hope it does. What's the fake veil thing? <laughs> yeah. I hope it does. I want Joey Lucchese to somehow ha- continue to have a 30% K rate for the year, which makes you stressed out because it shouldn't exist. But it's shocking. He pitched well. You got to take the pitching well and you got to ride that into the next appearance because there is a very, very more than likely possibility that he came out for that next inning and got destroyed. I'm going to try to do like an XL quarry tomorrow to find out the highest K rates with the highest ERAs to see if anybody else has a 30% K rate with a 7.5 ERA because I don't know if it's ever happened before. There's only a 20-inning sample, but it's still shocking. I will devil's advocate you right now and say this was like literally the best start of Joe Lucchese's career. Yes. And he went four innings. <laughs> yeah, 48% whiff rate is the highest he's ever had in the start. And he only went four innings. 12 whiffs and 25 swings. The churv was churvin. But it like also like wasn't. No, no. Like he, he is still bad. He yeah. is still bad. Even watching the game, there were so many hanging pitches and like churves up in the zone oh. that the Marlins hitters just swung through. Every single pitch that Joey Lucchese throws is a hanger. Yeah. He throws a fake pitch. It's a curveball without curve. It literally hangs. That yeah. is the point of that pitch. It's so bad that it's good. The Marlins just also suck. It was a perfect matchup. Yeah, if that's happening... Like, sometimes just kind of, like, live and let live. Like, be in the moment. I don't know. My sister came home from college this weekend. She was having dinner at my family, and she was like, to my parents, you guys have to just live in the moment more. <laughs> and, like, I was hysterical laughing on the floor with That's a glass of wine. That's the most college thing ever. Yeah, like, I'm done with junior in college. I know about everything. But he just isn't good. But when it's happening, you just have to fucking ride it sometimes. Just do it. Like, whatever. Like, Joey Lucchese can fake it once in a while. We've talked about that. He's deceptive. He's wily. He's a little bit creative. Like, his role can't be something that's, like, perfectly assigned. Like, you need to just have a feel with him and let him ride it out. That's how you get value out of Joey Lucchese. And I don't think we did that very well yesterday. We got, I think, I can't, again, I can't get mad about going, taking him out to go read Foley, who, like, wasn't his best, wasn't his sharpest, but still, again, very much kept us in the game, only gave up one run. True, but it seemed like Reed Foley wasn't ready to start warming up at that moment. Well, that was weird, and that's why... That, I... that was, that's my biggest problem with this, because it, see, if the plan was Lucchese to throw four, everyone should be aware of that plan, and Sean Reed Foley should be warming up in the middle of that inning. But there was a pinch hitter who led off the inning, I don't remember who it was, but they lined down the first pitch, and Reed Foley was taking off his sweatshirt. Yeah, I was about to say he was taking like, off his jacket. Yeah, he wasn't why is this happening? Ready. And it was so clear he wasn't ready because he had his worst inning of the season right after that. He gave up three hard hit balls to the first three batters he faced. Yeah. Joey Lucchese didn't give up one hard hit ball the entire outing. That's a real sentence. I can't even it believe is. it. 
Yeah, right? <laughs> and it was not even like we were getting to the third time in the order. We were still in the second time in the order. Like, I get, I don't want anyone to see Joe Lucchese a second time. But it seemed like he had an inning. This comes back to, again, the pinch hitter thing that Rojas has been stuck on a few different times this year, especially with Lucchese, where he wanted to get an extra bat up. Yeah. And just seemed like it was a waste of resources. And Reed Foley did work out of that initial jam, and he did pitch a clean six right afterwards. But then they sent him out for a third inning, and he didn't really have it. Didn't really have it, and then Loop had to come in and clean up for him, which Loop has been... Loop's, right now, the way it is with how many arms are going to be using, just is going to have to, like, be good. And while he, he didn't do anything wrong, he was fine, well, he, he got out of it, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle with him. It's not going to be clean, especially when he faces right-handed batters. He just has a really hard time getting righties out. Even though, again, two-thirds of an innings, no hits, no walks, no runs. Like, he, he was fine. No, It definitely. just wasn't great. Another issue with that is that he was used two days in a row. And Aaron Loop is not a pitcher who has the stuff to get away with throwing two days in a row, which is something we saw with Drew Smith, which we're like on the cusp of getting to. And Loop was hit in the 12th inning on Friday night. He let the Marlins briefly get back into the game, and it felt like all of my nightmares were coming to life. Yes. As Jazz Chisholm is on third base, Chad Wallach's warming up in the bullpen, and I'm like, what is happening right Adam now? Adam Simber at the plate. It could, it did nothing made any sense. Not, not one thing in that game made any fucking sense. It was ridiculous. The Marlins might have, I don't even know if this is true or not, but they, it seemed like they set a record for how many pitchers they used. They used game. every single pitcher except their starters that are on their team. They, yeah. they chose to hit Adam Simber instead of pinch hitting Chad Wallach because they said, we'd rather have Chad Wallach pitch <laughs> than hit. That's insane. Doesn't that, that, I don't agree with at all. <laughs> no, it makes no sense. You have a chance to win the game. You send Adam Simber up? You don't think Sandy Alcantara can give you one inning? One <laughs> inning on his throw day on it's Friday night? Not pitch yeah. until Monday? Anything, anything. But again, like Luke, he just doesn't have the stuff, the velocity, anything. He's kind of like a Lucchese light where he also like needs deception to be good. He does have a slider, which Lucchese for some reason has declined to learn. Doesn't do it. Whatever reason. <laughs> they flashed his career stats against Dickerson. Dickerson annihilated him. Owned him. him. Owned crushed him. him. <laughs> he hit like 350 with like six homers. That's not yeah. a home run hitting guy. And he did get him out, but he hit a deep enough fly ball to where Maven did make a nice throw of the plate, but it was just a bang, bang. And Anderson, even though Nito did drop that ball, he seemed like he still would have been safe. Yeah, it was very close. Very, very close. And I can't blame anybody on that. Um, no. But then Miguel Castro came in, game two, did well. Electric. He was back to like the Castro we saw last month. Throwing 101 and what he was doing. It was it was sick. But then Drew Smith came in and we get to finally talk about it. Back-to-back days for Drew might be tough, but also you probably had to go to him. Familia would have been the only other guy I think you could have realistically gone Familia to. Familia threw a lot of pitches Friday, more than Smith. Yeah. Which is crazy because Smith started his inning with a guy in second base and Familia just got one there organically. Yeah, well, that's Jerry's Familia. He didn't even, again, didn't even pitch well or pitch poorly the other night. He just, he, he just gives up cheap hits. He just pitches. He just yeah. pitches. I don't know what happened. But uh, yeah, Drew Smith gave up the home run on a hanging slider to Garrett Cooper. It was, I mean, you, as soon as it came out of his hand, he went, oh boy, like that's just not it. Yeah, and also the first at-bat of that inning was he, he got, I don't know if it was a slider or a fastball, I can't recall right now, that Aguilar pumped to deep center field that Fargus made at the time a game-saving catch. Sick. One of the best catches of the Major League Baseball season so far. Sick. Every single guy in the team was like screaming, pounding the chest. They showed the frame of Joneshwi, Drew Smith, and Lindor at the same time. Just Yeah, let's fucking so, go. When the first out of the ninth inning is that astronomically important, you know that's going to be very hard to get three. But I also felt like we were going to get it. I was like, he made that catch. The baseball gods are Mets fans today. Again. Every single ball in play of the inning felt like it was crushed. Yeah. Because I think Dickerson was next. I don't remember. I don't remember this Marlins lineup. I want to forget everything about the Marlins in the next 10 minutes. I don't fuck this team. I don't care about them at all. They're irrelevant. But every single ball was in play. Like, it was a matter of time before. He just didn't have it. He just didn't have it. That's our boy, but he didn't have it today. And that's a guy coming back from injury who, you know, 
basically had a little bit of spring training, a little bit of minor league season to get ready. Using back-to-back days, not the best decision, but we also had to. So again, yeah. it is what it is. C'est la vie, as they say in French. You like that? Look at that. C'est la, la vie. vie. C'est la vie. To get to like minutiae, I thought that could have been Diaz, but I'm not going to split hairs. I don't know. I think they wanted to save him for the 10th again, but I'm a whatever. firm believer if you don't use your closer on the road tied in the ninth inning. So I'm, I'm a okay firm believer that. in the fact that this Mets team right now is in a, in a universe that doesn't exist for anything else in That's baseball true. history. That's so true. we just have to do things differently to try and win games. Like my watching the game with my dad Friday night, he didn't want to see, I think it was Diaz in the 10th because you want to save him for a safe situation. I said, how in the world are we going to reach an 11th <laughs> yeah. in a tie game with a guy in second base? We have to throw him. Yeah. This is a save because we need to like extend our lives. There's only like one team slightly comparable, I guess, to it, and it's like the Angels, but the Angels also stink. So yeah, like they're not good. They just lost Trout and a couple of guys, but they're just not good. We're like this Mets team is oh, good. Oh boohoo! They still have Shohei Otani, the yeah, MVP no. of the league. Wah, Anthony Rendon. The oh no! Yeah. I can't Walsh. build. I can't build a team with the best players in the league. Wah. Yeah. So game Fuck two was the Angels. Game I hate two the was, Angels. Oh my god! Game two was tough. The Angels are a joke franchise. The Angels, to just go into tangent for a second, have literally the two best players in the American League. I'll say that openly. I don't even know if there's a conversation anymore. And they can't they can't put the winning team on the field with money. They have money. It's funny how they refuse to get pitching. Refuse. They're like, Alex Cobb, Jose Quintana, those are our boys. Let's get them. Like, <laughs> it's awful. Really quick before we go into game three, I want to give Dom some credit. He got a clutch single in the eighth that the Mets really needed. It went away because we lost the game in the ninth. But the Mets need the major league players on this team right now who are just Jonathan Villar. Dom Smith and Francisco Lindor to step up, and Dom did it for a moment, even though he hasn't really overall. And that takes us to Game 3. Takes us to Game 3, and I'm going to get it started off by talking about Lindor and Dom. Lindor, up until Game 3, had a fine series. Wasn't necessarily good yet, but it was fine. You thought maybe he was starting to turn the corner a little bit, but an 0 for 4 today. Put him at 3 for 12 for the series against the Miami Marlins. Dom Smith went 2 for 12 in the series against the Marlins for a combined 5 for 24. I know batting average doesn't matter, but 5 for 24, you're not going to be very successful unless those five hits are home runs. And uh, shocker, they weren't. Mm -hmm. The Mets are going to need Dom Smith and Lindor specifically, specifically to step the fuck up. I know it's tough. They have no protection. These guys aren't trying to, but Dom has taken some horrendous at-bats. I don't understand what his approach is at the plate. I have no idea what he's trying to do. He's getting up there and taking every first pitch strike, it seems like, down the cock of the plate, doesn't swing at it, and then he gets like a pitch like high and inside or low and outside, and he kind of flails at it, fouls it off. He hasn't jumped on one hanging pitch, what seems like, at all this year. We're getting the old Dom Smith before he learned how to sleep, where it's just like he's just a little not quick enough. He's not He's not sharp. I think that's the best way to describe it. He's just not sharp at the plate at all, and we need him to wake up. Yeah, it seemed like last year he was adept at getting into a good hitting situation. There were consistently men on base in front of him, and he always found himself, I feel like, statistics might not bear this, but I'm just taking a feel thing. Some things that I saw, he always seemed to find himself in a hitter's count. And he always seemed to capitalize when he got pitches to hit. This season, he has not done either of those things. He's not hit his pitches to hit, and he always feels behind in the count. He seems a little slow, lethargic. Something has just seems wrong with him right now. Edge and the fun Dom Smith that we've like had in the past feels like it's like just gone again. It feels like he's back to being like a rookie, very quiet, very timid. He's not aggressive at all. I need to see the aggressive Dom Smith back. At least for Lindor, I still think his, his bats are okay. I still think he's working the count. I still think he's getting on base decently, but 
his left-handed swing, which we talked about a little bit earlier, it seems like he's early on outside pitches, late on inside pitches. There's no other way to describe it. Like, he is so in between lefty. I'm at the point where I'm like, fuck it. Just hit right-handed at this point until you can figure too. it out because it's yeah. been so bad. Can I drop a disgusting statistic on your head right now? Hit me. The Mets have 83 less total bases than the next lowest team in baseball. Who's the next lowest team? Guess. The Tigers? No, Tigers are actually near the middle of the pack in total bases. This team is actually not the middle of the pack. The that's Nationals? The no. Who, who gets no hit every week? Oh, the Mariners. Yep, that's uh, the one. Mets West. Mets West. So Just yeah, Mets, Kelly. Mets West has 516 total bases. The Mets have 433 total bases. And granted, we played less games, but also we're starting to catch up a little bit here. Oh, no. The less games thing doesn't matter for 80 total no, bases. Exactly, I don't yeah. even know if the Mets have had a game this season where they had 80 total bases. Oh, God. It's it's going to be so rough offensively. Game three, you can see, like, we just don't want to talk about it because, uh, fuck it, it was a terrible game. Jordan Yamamoto, I'm sure, is a really nice guy, but boy, does he stink. God, he he is. I seriously, I wish the best for him. Hang out in Syracuse, do whatever you want. I can go my entire life with never seeing him put on the Mets uniform again. He wanted to do something. Again, you talked about like trying to do too much. Yeah. He wanted to beat the Marlins. The Marlins yep. cut him. The Marlins, you know, he probably felt like didn't get a fair shot, even though he very much did. He just doesn't have it. He was trying to do great. And the first inning was okay. But as he got later into the game, I think it was the second inning where he kind of fell apart. He just doesn't have good enough stuff you can take because nothing particularly comes in fast or moves a lot. Yep. So you can just, you see it and you can spit on it because it's not very difficult to understand what's coming at you. Like, yes, he has six pitches, but they're all not good. He just, he tried to do too much. There was a chopper, and I know you're going to go down into the breakdown of him, but he, there was a chopper with the bases loaded that Brandon Drury could have fielded and he could have gotten it out. You didn't have the guy at the plate. There was no shot. Yamamoto was like a cat off the mound, but then tried to make this crazy throw to home plate. He had no chance. He was safe by 20 feet, even if he made this play. We've seen one guy do it. It's Marcus Stroman, who's one of the best fielding pitchers in the league. Jordan Yamamoto is not that. So he then gave up the run. Still nobody out, or still no outs then. And then they got a ground ball. Dom made a great play, threw it to second. Lindor got it. Lindor made a throw to first, which Ron said was not good. But if you watch the replay, it hit Yamamoto literally in the heel of his hand, his wrist. On his glove hand. It hit him like hip hip level. So it wasn't even like it was a bad throw. Like, yes, he has to come over, run, get on the base, catch it, whatever. Lindor might have thrown a little behind him. But it still hit him relatively close to where his glove was. He just missed it. I know, like, that's not really his fault, Yamamoto. It's nobody's fault. You just got to make the play at some point. But... I lit Yamamoto, man. I've I've had enough. I really don't need to see him ever again. Yeah, I mean we'll see him more because he's the depth. He is the guy who's gonna throw some pitches when we need pitches. But he just the stuff just isn't there. How many how many walks did he have too today? Because like it just yeah two walk two walks two strikeouts. But that's gonna be the Yamamoto special. Even though he's supposed to have command, supposed to be a control guy. He does. He just. Know. Think that Yamamoto can't do. I talked about this briefly earlier in the year when he had that nice outing. I think it was in St. Louis, I believe. Yes, St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis. He needs to mix his pitches. Today, Yamamoto threw a variation of a fastball for 55 out of 73 pitches. And that feels like to me, Yamamoto trying to be like big dick guy and being like, I'm going to throw my 92 mile an hour fastball by you. And that's just not physically possible. To he's he's got one up to 94, which could have been the hardest ball he's ever thrown in his career. But it's just, it's just, it's not going to happen. The guy got six whiffs on 36 swings. 36 swings on 73 pitches is nuts. That's crazy. That means that's that they're, a very high number. They're keened in. They're like, this pitch, I want to hit it. It's yes. fat. And I bet they did want to hit it because they know the guy well. They're completely aware that he's an avid meatball lover. I don't yeah. know if he eats that down Little Italy. Jordan Yamamoto <laughs> seems to be a big fan of the meatball. He uh, He's just not good. And I don't really want to shit on the guy too much more because I feel bad. I feel like his, his wife made a tweet like, 
Mets fans being assholes. That's not cool. Don't come at the wife. Don't come at the guy personally. You can objectively say he stinks as a player without being like, I fucking hope, you know, this happens and all this kind of stuff. Like, take it easy. Even with Yamamoto pitching a flawless game, we probably still don't win this game. We scored one run. One run against Cody Poteet, who, again, didn't look terrible, but it's still Cody Poteet. John Curtis and Anthony Bender, I think, who pitched in, like, the Frontier League last year or wherever the hell he came from. There's no reason that, like, an actual Major League Baseball team only scores one run. But this team, I get it. Bender's kind of nice. Bender was my runner-up for uh, for Marlon to watch, if I'm being honest with you. I kind of like Anthony Bender. He's got stuff. And Poteet looked fine. Like, 26-year-old rookie who's been bouncing around. He was a mid, I think, mid or late-round draft pick. He gets up to 95, mixes four pitches. Like, that'll play most of the time in the National League. Like, he's not bad. I don't think he's good. He shouldn't be – he's not going to shut down the Braves. He's not going to shut down – A healthy Mets. The Padres. No, yeah, the Mets seem at full strength. But the bigger issue here, and I – we could, we could talk more about this game, but there's just some things I have to say about the team. I don't know how this is getting better anytime soon. Yeah, I don't know. Especially, like, uh, JD got scratched today in Syracuse yeah. for a stiff neck because mm-hmm. I guess they didn't give him good enough pillows because fuck the Mets, <laughs> why not? Um, Nimmo talked about nerve damage in his finger. We don't know what's going on with Alonzo. No word on McNeil or Conforto. Nothing. No, but they gave word today that the word is no word. Yeah, cool. Sick. It has only been a week since those two guys, which is crazy, it's only been a week. Those two guys both strained their hamstrings because Nimmo had uh, McNeil had a cramp and... We're not gonna. We're not gonna rest him. We gotta get him some at bats still. With this, how stupid that was. Probably back right now if he just went to DL when IL and immediately happened. And then Nimmo had such a funny quote when they were asking about his finger. They were like, "There's a pretty particular like. There's a specific science term to what's going on in my nerve. I don't really know it. We know Brandon was not a big science guy based no. on what's been going on for the last couple of months here. We we're aware of that. So don't worry, Brandon. You don't have to reiterate that you don't like science. <laughs> Yeah, he makes it very obvious. He's not a huge science guy. No, I guess like the, the saving grace of this game is that Robert Gesellman looked really good again. He Three did. innings, two strikeouts, one hit. That's going to be a Robert Gesellman line you see. He's mm-hmm. not going to strike out the world. No. Why don't we just give him the shot over Jordan Yamamoto? I kind of think that Gesellman right now is in a mental space where he is good coming out of the pen. You know, yeah. So I don't really want to screw up his routine and bring him out to start the game. I just feel like he has a mode right now. He's another bad body language guy where things go poorly. Sometimes he's been known to like scoff or like sink his shoulders a little bit, but the guy like gets off contact. He's getting some whiffs. Like he's getting, he got that sinker up to almost 96 miles an hour today. Same with the fastball. That's nice. That plays with Gazelman. If Gazelman can do that for a couple of innings at a time, he is valuable. We can use that. And just, I wish these innings would have gone to Thomas Zapuki, where it seems like now at this point, he probably tested positive for COVID. No, he pitched today. A... What? Yeah, he pitched in Syracuse, either today or last night. You didn't Are see you this? Are you kidding me? Hold on, no. let, me, let, me, let me pull this up. Yeah, he had a great start, I think. Why the fuck wasn't it him? Zapuki, let me look this up. Oh, Zapuki struck out five and four innings in AAA Syracuse last night, topped out at 95 miles per hour. His ERA in the minors through 13 innings is 2.77, and the manager says, this guy is major league ready. <laughs> Where's the disconnect there? Shout he out Jacob be... Resnick, by the way, for that. Dude's a beast, minor league stuff. Go follow him. Yeah, shout out Jacob Resnick. Shout out Joe DeMeo, too. Jacob and Joe have a new show going on SNY, Prospect Show. First episode's pretty good. Check him out. Why is he not in the major leagues? He should be here next time around. He has to oh be. He has God. to be. But again, the other problem that's happening with this team is that we are going to get pitching reinforcements back within the next two weeks. It seems like Lugo is going to return to the Mets the first day he's eligible, and Syndergaard seems to possibly be on track to do that too, or at worst the first week of June. Yeah, which is crazy. But the bats are not 
going to be doing that. No. Nimmo is still going to need the rehab assignment. Pete, I'm hoping he comes back after the minimum time, but there's been mum on him. JD, I don't know what's happening there. But Conforto and McNeil aren't coming back for a while. Doesn't seem like at least until June. At least. I would I would assume that we're not going to see those guys till the All-Star break. I didn't want to say that because I want to be positive, but I, I think that's in the back of my head that the fact that there has there, – the news is that there is no news is not good. Bad news. So we have to start thinking about what's going to happen here. Who's going to play? Because, you know, Janeshwi, I think, can stay on the team. Khalil Lee, little spark plug, but let's be honest, Khalil Lee should be getting at bats in AAA. The dude's just straight up not ready for the Major League Baseball right now. Cameron Mabin, please – God, no. He's terrible. Oh, my God. He's so bad. He's got a good glove, but we need bats. We need to score. The glove does nothing if we can't score runs. And then, like, Brandon Drury, eh, whatever. Peraza, I think, should be back, hopefully. He's not on the IL from getting hit in the calf. That would be insane. That would just Shin be contusion. Mets, yeah, Mets season, if anything. Wilfredo Tovar, just, he loves a good chopper. Uh, we DFA Jake Hager, who I actually think like Swogan actually okay bat. I liked his at bats, but whatever. I guess he doesn't have a spot with this team. I'm sure he'll come back to the Mets when he passes through waivers and go yeah. back to Syracuse. I can't see any other team jumping on Jake Hager. Where in the world are we going to get at bats from guys? Like I think I I even mentioned to you like this kid Jake Jake Mangum, who is a, I think like a second or third round pick out of like Mississippi State or something a few years A&M, ago. A and M, I think. A and M. Okay, I knew it was an SAC school that had like that dark you know yeah, the maroon red. color. Maroon, yeah. Um, but he's a guy who was raking in single A, or and they bumped him up to Binghamton now. And I feel like he might possibly be on a fast track where if he continues to show this, you know, plus bat at the plate, he maybe he gets a call because the guys that were thrown out there right now, it just you can't keep doing this. We're getting lucky and keeping these games close because we're playing the Marlins and we're gonna be playing the Rockies, teams who stink. But when we actually start playing legit, legit major league baseball teams, the Mets have no chance. No, of course not. But also to go on Jake Mangum, like he's twenty five years old. Like if you're not annihilating single A at twenty five years old, you probably should find a different profession. He also, though, like, he's a little bit different, too, though, because he did just knock out a season last year either. That's true, but a four-year college player in single A, like, you should be destroying those people. Yes. Like, I wouldn't hate the Mets. This is going to sound crazy or, like, soapbox moment. I wouldn't hate the Mets to be more aggressive with some of the better prospects. I would be giving Francisco Alvarez, Embre Beatty, and possibly Ryan Mauricio at-bats in double A right now just to see if it was possible that they could come to the major leagues and help this team in the immediate future we are going to have a six-week stretch here with no offense i don't unless the mets make a like a legitimate trade i don't know where positive at-bats are coming from i don't know where the runs are going to come from and even then like the guys that they could go after that's not there's not a lot like i don't even think chris bryant's really available if we wanted to go crazy and get a legitimate third baseman i don't even know if he's available right now and he's having an mvp season so it would cost a lot to get him we'd probably have to give up a top prospect which i have no interest in doing for half a season of chris bryant no. So the Mets' offense is in trouble. The pitching, yes. like you said, is it's coming back. It's going to be fine. But this offense, we've got to find some players somewhere. There has to be some 4A guys available that we can play somewhere. The Mets need a cathartic event. We need, like, we need to be touched by the graces of God right now just to find some warm bodies to fill this lineup up. We have four games against the Rockies. We'll get into our preview right now. Then I think three against the D-backs. And then Braves again. Think and so. them Padres. So by the time that Brave series rolls around, we need to get our shit squared away. We got a week right now to figure this out. Find some competent baseball players. We need bats right now. Yeah, I just can't continue to see Wilfredo Tovar and Cameron Maven get five at bats a game each. It just you can't win. You can't win a game with those guys hitting that much. You can't. It's not possible. 
just can't happen. So Mm-mm. let's talk Rockies because we can be you know miserable about what the future of this team is going to look like, even though it's not the actual future of the team. It's just the immediate future. Rockies, what do we got with the Rockies? Who are the matchups? What are we looking at? We have our three actual starting pitchers taking the mound three days in a row right now. Peterson, DeGrom, Stroman for the first three games. No one on the ledger for Thursday's noon game, which that's probably going to be a shit show. A noon game with Joey Lucchese is going to be just wild. We're facing Gomber, our boy Chichi, Yerman Marquez, and Antonio Senzatella. Which, if we couldn't hit those guys in Colorado... With our offense at its best? What's going to happen in Queens? Yeah, I like... We're going to have to get play real fun baseball. I don't know how we're going to do it. The one calling card with the Rockies, thing, something we can like, you know, hang our hats on. They have two wins on the road all season. They're 2-17 and 17 outside of Coors Field, which even for them, that's deplorably bad. The, the Rockies' home road splits are even funnier this year than, like, most years past. Going back, the Rockies have always had crazy splits. They've always had decent offensive teams. Like, yeah. this is the first year in 10 years they haven't actually had an offense that people could be like, oh, that's a good offense. Maybe that could hold the Rockies up to a 500 ball club. Not true. The Rockies have the lowest road OPS in baseball by a lot. It's in Ooh. the 500s. Oh. At home, they're top five. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, whatever. Big difference. They, it, this team can't hit. So we need our best three pitchers to hold them down. Of course, we're doing the same thing that we said we shouldn't do and putting a lot. Oh, actually, I was wrong. We have Atlanta and then the Diamondbacks. Oh, crap. We have Atlanta next weekend. Oh, my God. That's, that's not good. That's not good. Shit. Shit. <sighs> we just got, I don't know. Let's got to get lucky. Play Little League Baseball. Steal some bases. Hit and runs. I don't know. Call some, call some, call some bullshit plays. Yeah. I mean, like. All these guys we mentioned who can't hit, they can run. If yes. we get base runners, guys like Mabin, Tovar, Fargus, we got VR, Lindor, these guys have to be active on the base pass. We need to do the little things right to win these games. Scratch off a couple of runs and keep this awful, awful, awful Rockies offense at bay. It makes it even crazier that we beat the Braves. It makes it even crazier because they're actually Shocking. playing good baseball now. They're going to probably yeah. get hot right yeah, about now. Definitely. But it's got 20 runs the other day. Yeah. This, uh,. These next few weeks are going to be really, really tough. Mets fans, you got to stay strong. You got to understand this is not the New York Mets team that it's supposed to be. Because on Twitter, I'm seeing a lot of people like, this team's running out of time and jumping off buildings. Yeah, ready to, you know, kamikaze. Like, it's just, you, you can't possibly look at this lineup and think that this is indicative of what the team is going to be all season. We're going to get our guys back at some point, they're going to be back. It's right now, it's damage control. We have to stay as close to 500 as we physically can and keep it somewhat close. And then once the guys get back, we get the reinforcements, we are going to be more than fine. We've talked about this. We've seen the team when healthy. It's good. But when this team is as unhealthy as it is, 16, 17 guys on the IL, it's just not possible. And I think you even alluded to it in a previous episode. This is also a thing that BBW did. This is a direct correlation to the guys that he got out of our organization that would be used right now. Like how great would it be to have like a Blake Taylor, a Kevin Smith, or like some of the guys that we trade for like Keon Broxton, like just some of these guys who would have been these four a players now are gone because we traded for guys that are no longer even on this roster. Could you imagine if that guy whose last name rhymes with Smelonik could come Mm, up right now? Yeah. Smelonik. Although he's been a little ice cold this year to start, but he's still a great player. Uh, where's Ryan Cordell? Where's Ryan Cordell? Can where's we get, Ryan Cordell? Can That's we a good give question. Him a friggin' call. God, even like Heredia, who I was like, we should get, bring him back for free in the offseason. He's actually playing good baseball for the Atlanta Braves. Where's your boy Adam Engel? Can we give him a call? Is he still no, on the team? He, I think he's actually injured in the White Sox uh, right now. Fits in with the Mets. Like, 
I love the quadruple-A guys. I've been looking up quadruple-A guys my entire life because I was used to the Mets only signing quadruple-A's with the Wilpons. That's my forte. That's where I find That's where I find talent. We need some quadruple-A's right now to find a role with this team. Real real thing, I think this will be the last thing we talk about before we go. Is Yasiel Puig, you think, a legitimate option? I, if I was the GM, I'd say yes. The guy seems to be in shape. He seems to continue to work out and hit. It doesn't seem like the Mets have any desire to bring him in. It would probably be a media firestorm given what's going on with the Mets this offseason and what he does otherwise, like just his, his uh, accusations. Yep. I, I think, though, that the Mets really need an outfielder almost more than they need an infielder, which is shocking because they need both really badly. But we just don't have any reinforcements coming for a while, and I think that he could be useful. Could be as useful. Crazy as to say. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. It, Lindor, Dom Smith have to step up. Nito stepped up. Hit. Those guys need to be better if this mess team wants a chance because I don't know where we're finding offense from otherwise. So I, I have no idea. These next few weeks are going to be tough, but lucky for you guys, you get to listen to us after every series. Oh my God, I realized I didn't plug the, the Twitter, the Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts earlier. We got right into content today. We, yeah, were, we, I was, were, we were jumping. I was jumping, but I'll do it now um, since we're wrapping up the episode here. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Mets Up. You can find us on YouTube. They're there should be a video, I think. I'm going to try for this episode. I'm actually going home this weekend, but uh, mess up on YouTube as well. You can f- listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can listen to them. You guys have been showing us amazing support. The numbers keep going up and up, so thank you so much. James, any final remarks here before we sign off? Um, just thank you, all listeners. We've gotten some good engagement this weekend through Twitter, Instagram, YouTube comments have been fun. Some funny stuff on there, so you guys keep it coming. But just Mets going to play some Little League baseball. i got to scratch them out. Hang with us. Hang with the Mets. It's going to be a long season. It's only going to be getting a little bit longer. But thank you guys for listening to episode number 17 of the Mets Up Podcast. And we'll catch you next time after the Rocky series. Bye. Thanks for listening.